as a kid, I was there watching the goose operation and, you know, and, uh, you know, standing on the ramp, eight years old, thinking, man, I really want to fly that airplane. And, and uh, now I'm, I'm doing it. So it really is a dream come true. It, it's pretty special. G'day and welcome everyone to episode number 27 of On The Step with That Mallard Guy. I'm your host, Dan Bolton. On The Step is all about float planes and flying boats. My goal is to find the most interesting people within our industry to share all kinds of stories to inspire you all. If you are loving the show, please tell a friend about it, share it on social media and review it on Apple Podcasts. It is super easy takes only a minute and it inspires me to keep up the hard work for you all. Now, if you want to get in contact with me, my email is thatmallardguy at hotmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram and send me a message at thatmallardguy. I've had a great month off the mic, having family up for a visit, enjoying some sleep-ins instead of waking up at 5am to talk to guests in America, but now I'm recharged and ready and the first episode back is an absolute cracker. Today, I have a guest I've been wanting to get on the show for a very long time. Along with de Havilland Beavers and a Cessna 185, wilderness seaplanes fly three immaculate Grumman Goose up the north end of Vancouver Island in Port Hardy, Canada. Connor Doucette is one of the Goose pilots, and he is now a third-generation family member, all to fly the same Goose. His passion for seaplanes, and in particular the Goose itself, an aircraft his grandfather flew after World War II is infectious and he shares some incredible stories. For now folks, let's power up our radial Pratt & Whitney's. Once clear of the dock, we'll lower the wing floats, levelling out our wings to taxi out into the open bay. Applying power to the 985s, we'll get the goose up and on the step. Right engine is turning. 12% fuel. A lot. Alrighty, welcome to On The Step, Connor Doucette, all the way from Port Hardy in Western Canada, mate. How are you going? Great, thanks. How are you? Very good, mate. It's awesome to have you on uh, the show, mate. I've been trying really hard to get uh, someone from Wilderness Seaplanes to come on the show for a while now and talk all about probably the only other uh, flying boat operator in the world with a multi-engine seaplane uh, flying boat there that operates uh, commercially just like we do as well, other than obviously uh, flight training or, or firebombing. Um, yeah, there's some guys up in Alaska, uh, Freshwater Adventures. I think they're still active. They've got two gooses. And then there's um, Harv's Flying Service up in Kodiak. He operates a, a widgeon. So I think okay. those are the other, only other two. But wow. uh, in Canada, we definitely are the only ones still operating a commercial flying boat service on a scheduled basis yeah mate i can't wait to kind of uh, get into um everything about the goose and and what wilderness do up there in port hardy um i've had a mate i used to fly with here at pass paley who did a, did a few seasons um on the goose there as well um so mate why don't we um just jump back a little bit and start off with uh, telling me a little bit about uh your history yourself and how you got into flying seaplanes sure yeah well i uh, I, I grew up in a flying family. Uh, my grandfather was a pilot. Uh, my uncle is a pilot. My father's a pilot. My grandma and my mom even have their pilot's licenses. So <laughs> it's uh, I just lived, sleep, eat, and breathe airplanes for 
as long as I can remember. And uh, I joined Air Cadets, uh, did a glider and and glider scholarship and private pilot scholarship. So I had those two licenses by the time I was 17. I can't say enough good things about the Air Cadet program in Canada. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for um, the Air Cadet program. And uh, after I graduated high school, I uh, I didn't. I wasn't a very good student. I didn't go to college, university, or anything. I just worked in the oil patch for a bit, saved up money for my commercial license, and uh, was lucky enough to get a first flying job in uh, northern Ontario at Sleep Falls Airways. Uh, Matt Cairns hired me to fly a 206, and I did that for, oh, better part of two years. Uh, floats in the summer and wheels in the winter. We flew off the... Um, ice strip right in front of our hangar there so it, it was a neat experience to fly uh, i'm from british columbia but it was a neat experience to see ontario and and fly up there and then i after that i um, got hired by another operator on the north island and flew uh, beaver turbo beaver and a 185 on floats for uh, air cab a guy by the name of joel irison and i uh, flew there for two years and then um, once i got some experience on the coast i walked next door over to wilderness seaplanes and uh, begged uh, Vince Crooks, who is the operations manager, he runs it at the time, or runs it now, uh, begged him for a job. And I was fortunate enough to get hired. And uh, we started out flying the Beaver in 185 there. And then uh, within a few months of working there, uh, got checked out on the Goose, which is a bit of a lengthy process. I mean, it was the first um, multi-engine tailwheel airplane I really had much time in. So did that and I've been that wilderness now for uh, almost two years and it's uh, love every minute of it so yeah absolutely mate it sounds like an absolute epic airplane to fly we'll touch on the goose in a second there but just tell us a little bit of the family history because yours sounds very similar to mine my uncle was a pilot my my dad and uh, my grandfather as well so very similar history there were they all seaplane fly- uh, pilots in the Canada there or a bit more airline um, time yeah uh Sort of a bit of both. Uh, my grandfather, uh, I mean, he's one of my heroes. Uh, I, uh, you know, I I really uh, admired his career. He was a uh, grew up in Cardale, Manitoba. Joined the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force. Uh, trained on Yale's and uh, Tiger Moss, Yale's, Harvard's, and then went overseas um, and flew. Was a I believe he was a staff pilot at a gunnery school. Um, and then flew a lot of aircraft in the uh, RAF inventory. I mean, you name it, he flew it from ferry battles, uh, Blackburn Sukas, Blackburn Bothas, um, Bolton Paul Defiance, all the early RAF oddball airplanes. And um, he wound up doing about 2,000 hours of flying in, in that capacity at the gunnery school and then went on to a hurricane uh training squadron and then after that uh, got on with uh, 193 squadron which flew hawker typhoons and he flew operationally from late 42 uh, until he was shot down in um, july of 44 a little bit after d-day so uh, he took part in 76 operational trips um, led of when he was shot down he was leading a, a flight uh, he was in charge of b flight and he shot down over Caen, france um and then spent nine months in a German POW camp and then came home from the war and uh, wound up in uh, Brandon, Manitoba at the uh, Brandon Flying Club. And that's actually where he met my um, met my grandmother there. They were in a Republic CB. My grandma was flying it and my grandpa was sitting in the back. And the way my grandma tells the story is he was 
hungover sitting in the back of the CB with his Ray-Bans on. And <laughs> she thought he was a rich farmer so because he was sitting in the back. But it turns out he was supposed to be the flight inspector checking her out on the airplane. So that's how they met. <laughs> <laughs> and then he um, left Manitoba and came out to BC and worked for some um, early uh, coastal airlines, uh, most notably uh, Queen Charlotte Airlines. They ran the um, Supermarine Stranraers flying boats um he didn't fly them there but they had other all sorts of uh, a real oddball fleet of airplanes they had beach stagger wing on floats uh, wacko cabin cruiser he flew that um, flew norsemans on floats uh for queen charlotte airlines and then moved around to a few other um airlines uh, queen charlotte airlines was bought out by pacific western airlines uh, which is a pretty famous airline in canada started by russ baker and he flew amphib beavers and then went on to um Associated Air Taxi, uh, flew Widgeons and CBs, and I'm missing some stuff. Uh, my <laughs> uncle's going to hear this, and he's going to probably be embarrassed that I don't have all the exact dates. But Jeez, he, you're reeling, um, off a, quite a, reeling off a lot of aircraft that I've never heard of, mate, so you're doing a pretty good yeah, job, so, I reckon. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, he, I mean, right after the World War II, that 1950s um, time frame, there was just so much flying to do in Canada and a lot of surplus aircraft. And it really was an exciting time to be involved in, in aviation. And, um, you know, he did a lot of flying. And then um, uh, he got on with uh, West Coast Transport, uh, which was the flight department for McGlone Dell. Um, another uh, pilot that they had flying um, the air, uh, they had operated um, the Goose IOL, and they ended up buying another Goose HUZ. Um, the pilot that Grandpa took over from was a guy by the name of Dan McIver, and Dan McIver is pretty well known in Canada because um, he uh, was one of the people involved in starting um, Forest Industry Flying Tankers, and they uh, got the uh, Martin Mars Water Bomber program up and running out of Sprout Lake in Vancouver Island. So Dan McIver was flying for West Coast Transport and then left to go uh, get involved with the Mars. And then he um, offered his job to my grandfather. Um, so, and then he stayed with them uh, since, I think he started there in 1960 and he retired there in early 80s. Um, and they operated to Grum and Goose's IOL and uh, CFIOL and um, HUZ, which we have now at Wilderness Seaplanes. So it's really special for me because um, I'm the third generation guy in my family to fly um, the exact same airplane. Wow, so it's, that's uh, incredible. Yeah, so it, you know it's a special airplane to me because I have such a um, close connection to it. So it's uh, it, it's like, like I said, every day I, I get to fly the airplane. It's a privilege. So yeah, it's what happens when uh, the airplane you flies out at 80 years old, isn't it? Like um, <laughs> so many people have flown these airplanes. Yeah, no, and they, you know they they only built 345 gooses. Production went from 1937, and the last one came off the production line in 45. So I mean they're getting up there in age. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we just jump in and talk a little bit about the goose? Um, tell us um, some facts and stats, just like you reeled off a few then about the the history of the goose that you're aware of. Yeah, so um, it's built by um, Grumman Aircraft Corporation, which is a pretty prolific aircraft manufacturer. I mean they built. Um, you know, they, all the carrier-based fighters in World War II, all the CAT series from the Wildcat up to the twin-engine Tiger Cat, and then the early Navy jets, the uh, Grumman Panther, and then, uh, you know, everything up to the F-14 uh, Grumman built. So they really had their finger in everything. Um, 
They, they, the Goose was actually the first monoplane that Grumman built. And it, the first flight, I believe, was in, um, um, in May in 1937. And it was originally built uh, for, as a corporate airplane uh, for people leaving New York. Uh, Grumman was in, on Long Island. So uh, for the east, eastern seaboard, people flying out of New York, going to Long Island or Martha's Vineyard and stuff like that. So you know, it, it, they, from the beginning, it was designed as a corporate aircraft. And uh, um, yeah, uh, Grumman built 345 of them, and uh, Wilderness Seaplanes has um, three of them operational right now. So. Do you know how many are operating still in the world? You know, I was thinking about that, and um, there are, I mean, we own three. There's there's at least two running commercially up in Alaska, and they, there's a museum up in Alaska that owns one. So I would say maybe there's probably... 10 to 15 airplanes airworthy right now. There might be more airframes around, but I mean, and that's just a guess. I'm sure I'm going to be corrected by somebody, but I would say 10 to 15 airplanes that are still flying. Yeah, it's about the same amount of mallards, I believe, around that yeah. kind of 10, 10 mark. So, mate, what do, yeah. what do wilderness do with the goose over there at uh, Port Hardy? Yeah, so it's uh, the goose has just filled a niche in Port Hardy because uh, we need an amphib airplane from operating off the airport and then going to all the places we go into, or it's all um, on the water, obviously. So the Goose just fills a niche. It's it's a good design. Um, a lot a lot of amphib aircraft designs, especially an Otter or a Caravan, when you put it on amphib floats, you lose a lot of the uh, lose a lot of your useful load, and it's too big of a compromise to to sort of be a, a useful airplane. So the Goose has just found a niche in Port Hardy, and we um, we operate a sked service to Rivers Inlet. Uh, which is one of the main uh, areas that we go into. Um, there's a First Nations community, uh, Weekano, at the top end of Rivers Inlet. They've got a, um, a gravel strip that we go into, and there's uh, Dawson's Landing in Rivers Inlet. We do the mail there. So we it's a good mix of we do a scheduled service and charters for the um, – our big customer right now uh, is uh, Moe, which is a fish farm company, and we do uh, crew changes for them. But that's a big part of our business. Uh, we're lucky to do that, and we uh, service logging camps and uh, anything like that. And, and you're operating all year round, aren't you? So through the winter and in the summer. We are. We're supposed to be busy in the summer. I mean, this summer has been a little challenging for everybody because that's when all the uh, fish lodges are up and running. So then those keep us pretty busy in the summer. But yeah, we we operate steady year round. Yeah, what's it like um, going from the extremes of winter and summer uh, over in, you know, Canada there, where you could be flying, kind of in snowy conditions, icy conditions, compared to the kind of heat of, of summer. We try to avoid uh, icing conditions. Not, yeah. It's not too common to run into. I mean, and unless you're purposely flying in cloud, it's not too common to run into icing conditions. Um, we we do get the, the odd day of snow. Uh, on the coast in the winter time, and, and it usually grounds us. It's uh, not usually flyable. Um, but yeah, though the weather is is, is the is the biggest challenge of flying on the coast. Uh, you know, in the winter time we get big low pressure systems. It's not uncommon to see winds out in the straits of 50 knots, um, poor visibility, two to three miles in rain uh, kind of thing. But uh, you know, we aviation safety and uh, float plane operations has come a long way. So we have a fairly strict uh, guidelines and uh, we lose a lot of lose a lot of days 
in the winter for cancellations. But uh, it's rare for us to get two bad weather days in a row. I mean, it's usually nicer the next day. So. Yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, the weather is a challenge, and it, it's a challenge year-round. I mean, in, in the wintertime, you get poor visibility, high winds, rain, low cloud. And in the summertime, when the weather gets nice, we get big high-pressure systems, and we have to deal with um, the ocean fog that rolls in. And it usually, if it's a nice day, you can the night before, you usually guarantee on not being able to fly till about noon the next day, waiting for the fog to lift. So. Yeah, wow. And, and these aircraft are only operated VFR, are they? Yeah, we yeah they're just strictly uh, VFR. Um, back in the day when they were uh, corporate airplanes, when my grandfather operated them, they were two crew IFR airplanes. But they're not, they're, they don't have um, anti-ice equipment, so you're kind of limited into what kind of IFR flying they did. But uh, no, we're at Wilderness. We're strictly VFR. Yeah. Mate, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be um, a pilot at Wilderness. Like, what's the what's the daily routine like uh, when you come to work? You know, where are you based generally? Is it at the airport there, or is it an, on a dock? Or, you know, tell us a little bit about what it's what it's like in the day of a life of a, a Wilderness air pilot. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, we we do most of our oper- the goose operation is up at the airport, uh, Port Hardy Airport, CYZT is our home home base. We do have a um, a seaplane base in town in Hardy Bay where we have a, a beaver on straight floats and a 185 on straight floats. So, I mean, every pilot flies all, all the different airplanes. So some days you're down at the harbor, some days you're up at the airport. But average day of goose flying, um, we don't generally have trips first thing in the morning unless it's a special charter. Our, uh, the Rivers Inlet sked leaves at 10 o'clock every day. So, I mean, it's a fairly relaxed uh, schedule in that regards. I mean, you're at the airport by 9 o'clock, pre-flighting the goose, getting it ready. There's some things to look for on the goose that are a little bit different than other um, float planes. Uh, the big thing is there's hull plugs in the hull, so you got to check to make sure. Um, the ramp guys take the plugs out and drain the hull every night of water, so you just got to do a visual inspection uh, make sure those are in. So uh, you do that and um, do the walk around, all the basic things you check. Uh, there's just you know the goose is a it's a bigger airplane um you know there's lots of things to look at one of the problem areas to check every morning is the um the cowling latches have been known to break so that's a pretty big item check make sure cowling latches are secure um, check condition tires brakes yeah just general things you do in a walk around and then once we do that uh we usually depart 10 o'clock to do the sked and uh you know it's a it's sked, but it, there's lots of variety in it. Um, you know, we can have up to six or seven different stops along the coast. Uh, so it, it can be fairly busy. Um, and what kind of sector lengths are they? Usually for the rivers and let's get uh, longest is usually about yeah, 35, 40 minutes to get to a week and oh, which is probably the farthest distance. We usually do go on that sked and then um, all the stops along the way. I mean, they, you could have a five-minute trip or ten-minute trip. That's usually the average. So, well, it's pretty incredible. It must be so much fun just flying up the coast of Vancouver there. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be a lot of work um, docking the airplane. Uh, you know, you, you you do about six or seven dockings in a day. You know, every docking we do, we you crank the landing gear down. So uh, the goose doesn't have a water rudder, so you control the airplane with differential power, and um, you put the landing gear down to help slow the airplane down. And uh, we have um, uh, retractable wing floats. Uh, actually, it's fairly interesting. There's a company in um, 
Sandy, Oregon, uh, Mac McKinnon, who was a pretty prolific uh, guy when it came to the Goose. He did a lot of the STCs and really made the airplane useful for the kind of flying that we do by putting um, retractable wing floats. And the electric motor that uh, we used to operate the wing floats actually came off of uh, B-24 Bombay doors. Wow. So that's kind of an interesting fact. So, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's it's neat. I mean, it, uh, you spend... You spend a whole uh, lifetime flying the goose, and you know there's still something, still something to learn about docking. The the learning never stops. So. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask because I know that the docking procedure is very unique. Um, I've heard stories of the pilot having to climb out the window and get up onto the top of the wing to make sure that the uh, the right wing or the correct wing, I should say, is. Um, up high enough to be out of the way of the dock is that is that true is that something that's happening on a regular basis um no no that would be a fairly unusual situation um, you can it can be tricky to get the airplane um leaned over i guess flopped over um to the one side or the other depending on which way the wind's blowing but once you've got it um on the side you want um you 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 can suck the wing float right up and get the airplane leaned right over and usually in that configuration uh the wind won't pick up the down wing um but you know i mean a hundred different things could happen and i'm sure there has been situations where guys have the airplanes flopped over on the wrong wing close to the dock and guys have climbed out um and get the airplane flopped over on the other side so it's uh yeah that would be fairly unusual but i mean we um you do six or seven or eight or nine dockings a day and you get, you don't, you never get really comfortable doing it, but you certainly get proficient at it. And uh, it, it's uh, each docking is its own, is its own unique experience. So. Yeah. It's incredible. Mate. Um, what are, what are the other unique things about the Grumman Goose? Uh, can you tell us anything else that's a little bit unique? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a tail dragger, uh, you know, so there's challenges associated with that. Um, uh, the uh, landing gear, uh, when the Grumman originally built the Goose, um, you know, the, the landing gear on the Goose, it's uh, very similar to what's on the um, other early Grumman aircraft, uh, the Grumman Wildcat, Grumman Duck. Uh, the land, I'm not going to say the landing gear is identical, but it's a very, very similar design. And it's um, and originally it was uh, hand crank uh, operation to raise the gear and lower the gear. Uh, we've... Um, Along the way, they've modified most of the gooses to have an electric motor raise the gear as a safety feature. You know, clean the airplane up in case you lose an engine on takeoff or something like that, and you got to get the airplane clean. So, um, yeah, we have its uh, electric motor to raise the gear, and it, it doesn't bring it up all the way. You still need about two or three cranks on the hand crank there to snug the gear up, and then to lower the gear, it's uh, 40 to 42 cranks. Each airplane's a little bit different to. Um, to lower the gear and it's uh it's important to make sure you count because um there's been uh in, in, instances in the past where you go to retract the gear in the water close to the dock and you get a piece of driftwood stuck in the gear and you go to crank it down and uh you're not counting and you get it in the handle stops and you think the gear's down but there's driftwood in the uh, a-frame stopping the gear to come all the way down and we, they've had landing gear um it's the collapse on the runway for instance like that but it's fairly rare and as long as you count you can avoid that so yeah that's, that's a pretty full-on 
system by the sound of it. And mate, uh, the engines, they're the same as the, the Beaver engine, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the Pratt & Whitney R985 uh, AN14Bs are, I think, the variant. 450 horsepower. Um, another unique, yeah, so identical to the Beaver engine, same engine, it's on a Beach 18. I mean, it's a 985 is probably the most reliable piston engine aircraft uh, engine ever built. I mean, it's... Uh, it's you know just, you can't say enough good about it. It's just a fabulous engine. And uh, another unique system on the Goose is the um, the flaps. We've got big flaps on the airplane. Um, there's three flap settings uh, up 30 degrees, and I think full flap is 60 degrees. So quite wow. a bit of flap. Um, it it works off a vacuum system. Uh, vacuum from the uh, intake manifold uh, creates suction, and that's how they. Um, lower the flaps so at uh low then you get the most um, vacuum at lower manifold pressure so it's kind of neat how the flaps work you could you could be the flap speed's 95 so you could put the flaps all the way down at 95 and you're not going to get full flap at high power settings and high airspeed but as you slow the airplane back and reduce power and then the flaps will gradually come down and then um short final when you've got the power to idle that's when you get full flap so it's kind of a neat system um and when you, if you do have to go around or on takeoff the the flaps will come up on their own from the um high you lose uh vacuum at higher manifold pressures and the uh the airspeed bringing the flaps up so you you kind of have um if you go around the flaps kind of come up on their own and then they won't come up all the way and then you just select it and then it'll come up all the all all the way if probably doing a bad job explaining that but it is a neat system so. yeah yeah absolutely you said it's single pilot airplane as well yeah. uh, what's the passenger seating capacity and and are passengers allowed to sit in the front as well yeah we can uh, we can put somebody up front so all uh, we can take nine people on board and we do that fairly regularly when we're doing a lodge change um doing short legs um most of the charters we do, long charters, we're taking about four or five people plus their gear. So. Mate, um, one of the things that I found going from uh, being a float plane pilot uh, then moving to a hull pilot was um, it was a huge big step up, especially on the Mallard. Um, I found that porpoising was a really big issue um, that took a long time to, um, to get over. Uh, what was your experience with going from being a float plane pilot onto a hull, especially a multi-engine hull? How did you find it all? Um, you know, it, I didn't find the water handling uh, to be that much of a challenge. I, I mean, I've, I've never flown a Mallard, but, um, you know, the, the, the Goose is probably about as docile as flying boat on the water as, uh, as you could get. I mean, it really has no bad handling handling characteristics and it really doesn't have a tendency to porpoise unless um, you've really got the airplane out of trim um, you've got it loaded incorrectly if you've got um, an aft center of gravity uh, that could run into you could run into some issues there um, I've had some guys uh, have had issues um, getting into a porpoise departing downwind um, you know you might get one or two oscillations but I mean if it's fairly docile, and I've never had a, a real issue with the goose porpoising. What about just the just the general step up into the multi-engine flying boat role? How did you find all that? Uh, yeah, the multi-engine aspect of it. Like this was the first multi-engine airplane I flew commercially, so it was a big step up in that regard. Um, uh, to be honest, the the most challenging thing I found about 
um, getting on the goose was the uh, the tailwheel aspect of it. Uh, the last 2,000 hours of flying I did before I got on the goose was all on floats and all on a beaver. So it was fairly, you know, the beaver is a great, very docile aircraft. And, you know, you go from that to land in a, you know, 8,000-pound tail dragger hurtling towards a runway. It, it was a bit of a learning curve in that department. So can only imagine that it was a, a big step up. What's the training process yeah. like on the goose? Yeah, we, uh, wilderness. I mean, they we, they do a good job of taking relatively low time guys and getting them trained up on the airplane. Um, it, it is a bit of a process. It probably takes about six or seven months to get a guy from you're doing your initial training to finishing up your line in dock and feeling having him go out and do revenue trips. Um, the first ten hours uh, is spent uh, just getting ready for the. Uh, the ride or the pilot proficiency check is what we call it. PPC is what we call them in Canada. So that's just doing your um, steep turn stalls, uh, single engine go arounds, engine out procedures, dealing with emergencies. And that takes about 10 hours of dual. And then after that, you do your ride with a, we have a, uh, an authorized person by Transport Canada to actually issue a, a, a type of PPC for the airplane to fly commercially. And then after that, ten after you pass your PPC ride, then the real training starts. You do, you go do revenue trips with another pilot, and the line and dock process takes around 50 hours, just getting out there with with the guys, seeing different docking situations, you know, going to different runways. We go to um, Oakino or Weekend Strip. It's a gravel runway and it's fairly narrow, so uh, we, you know, we, we don't send guys in there until they get about two to three hundred hours on the airplane. And then, uh, yeah, after the 50-hour landing dock, they're brave enough to let you go out and take it on your own. And, and uh, yeah, you're turned loose on the airplane. Must have been a pretty incredible experience for you, um, kind of doing your first solo trip in the, the goose that your family has three generations flown. Yeah, like flying the airplane, it's, um, it is it is such a privilege. Um, uh, I remember uh, my dad's a corporate float plane pilot, and he, me and him would spend a lot of time up in Port Hardy um with the uh, turbo beaver that he flies and as a kid i was there watching the goose operation and you know and uh, you know standing on the ramp eight years old thinking man i really want to fly that airplane and and uh now i'm i'm doing it so it really is a dream come true it's pretty special yeah congratulations man that's awesome um i want to talk a little bit about um the maintenance aspect of the the aircraft there how how does it go in maintenance i know that with the mallard you know being such an old airplane with hardly any built parts uh, are an issue. How do you, how are you finding it over there? Um, yeah, we have a really uh, good, dedicated maintenance program. Um, you know, I mean, you, you can teach anybody to fly the airplane. I think the real art in maintaining the goose is having a good maintenance department and having experienced engineers that have seen seeing what goes wrong and being able to fix it. Um, the airplanes are getting older and obviously we're operating in a uh, pretty heavy salt water environment. So corrosion is an issue. Um, our airplanes get inspected every, um, every seven days. Uh, the engineers will go through and inspect everything. And then we have regular uh, maintenance intervals after that. So our maintenance at wilderness seaplanes is, is really top notch and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, they've all three airplanes have been painted recently, and they really look good. So they take a lot of pride in um, in making sure we have a a safe and good airplane. Yeah, I was going to actually talk about that as well. Was that a full refurb that was kind of done on those aircraft, or just a, just a paint? Oh, oh no, they uh, they 
did a lot of work on them. Um, they, yeah, a lot of reskinning, a lot of anti-corrosion measures. Um, yeah, they had them right down. Actually, I, I've got lots of pictures of the last the goose that we, um, I, I shouldn't say we, they rebuilt and <clears throat> they quite an extensive, um, quite an extensive program of taking it apart and putting it back together. So yeah, would have been incredible. And and how many um, goose do you actually have in the fleet? Was it? We have three. Uh, so we've got um, the registrations. We got DDJ, uh, UAZ, and IOL, and then we have a fourth one, uh, HUZ, and that's kind of the hangar queen that's sitting in the back of the hangar. But uh, yeah, so we've got three online airplanes. And and so how many are you usually using on a day? Is it is it only just one at a time, or how's it all working? Um, there? No, we've had days even this summer uh, that we've had three airplanes out at once uh wow. when we i just did a lodge change uh on thursday and um we moved two groups of eight people so we had two airplanes going out there so yeah no we're not when when we're busy it's uh the airplanes are flying for sure yeah right and you mentioned that seven day little check that they have is that just the the engineers are just going over that or is that part of their actual kind of system of maintenance I think it's part of our actual system of maintenance. It's a part of our approved Transport Canada maintenance program. Yeah, so they're actually doing some, is it to go for a few days, does it, that, that, that they'll look over the aircraft? or? Yeah, so um, each airplane, uh, like I, I think DDJ, the seven-day inspections on Wednesday, UAZ's on Thursday, and IOL's on Tuesday. So they, uh, there's all, yeah, they, they rotate um, the days. Yeah, how, so. how many engineers do you have? As part of the crew, uh, we have four guys in the hangar right now. So, oh, yeah, busy, we busy yeah boys. we have a fairly big yeah we do yeah they, we have a fairly big maintenance department and we need it. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. And what and what about talking about numbers? Uh, how many pilots have you got there at the moment? Uh, we have six six guys. One isn't full time, but yeah, I think we have six pilots on staff right now. Yeah, right. And what about hiring? Um, you know, I know that COVID's kind of put a bit of a handbrake on on hiring at the moment but before that what were the kind of hours that guys needed to come on and, and join wilderness the big thing is having um coast experience um you know i uh i probably had a bit low, a low time on the scale of guys that get on at wilderness i mean i think i started there i only had three thousand hours and no multi-engine time but i had lots of um experience in the area from my previous employers so you know it 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 depends there's no magic number i mean we hired a guy lot two years ago a really high time spray pilot um you know great hands and feet stick and rudder skills but didn't have any float time and he's done really well for himself um getting on the goose and learning to fly on the coast and stuff so it it just it it just depends on the uh, depends on the individual i think i mean Time's just a number. I think the more important thing is what kind of experience a guy has. Yeah, oh, that's good to hear. And um, I know that a few years ago you guys were uh, joined in with an uh, with an airline. What was the what was the deal there? Yeah, so um, we technically still are. Uh, the, our head company, like uh, originally Pacific Coastal, was the umbrella for the whole operation, um, and the, the they had an IFR division and. Uh, the Port Hardy Goose operation was their float plane division. And we still operate under the Pacific Coastal umbrella, but we just switched. We kind of did a rebranding of the float plane operation and it became Wilderness Seaplanes. So, but for all intents and purposes, we're still under the umbrella of uh, Pacific Coastal. Yeah, nice. Mate, yeah. 
we're kind of getting down the end there. I've got a few, uh, a couple more questions before we jump into the my splash and dash questionnaire that we're going to touch on as well. Okay. Um, before we get into that, there's a, a really interesting uh, video on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it at all. It's um, of a goose getting stuck in ice overnight. Um, have you seen that video at all? I have. Um, well, it's a testament to, uh, you know, they call it the Grumman Ironworks for a reason. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the, the hollow gets stuck in over overnight in the ice. And I've I seen that. I, I don't know what the um, specifics were, if they if they had some fuel management problems or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it's a fairly interesting video. If anyone's listening, they should check it uh, check it out and go and have a look at that. Just, I think, search goose in, in ice or something like that. It's a pretty cool little video those guys have put in to try and, save this goose that's stuck in the ice overnight um you know using chainsaws and cutting up the ice there it's it's pretty incredible what they what they had to do overnight to to get the thing yeah no it 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 is a spectacular video yeah (laughs) mate um so as i mentioned we're kind of getting it down to the end of the uh the interview there um so what i normally do to finish the interview is uh jump into a splash and dash questionnaire so just like the land plane touch and go the seaplane splash and dash we will touch on a few um, seaplane-related questions. Mate, first of all, um, so far in your career, what is your most favorite seaplane that you've flown? I think I've got an idea. Oh, oh. Yeah, no, definitely the Goose yep. and <laughs> IOL. You know, it's Grandpa's airplane, so it's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about what's one of the um, your dream seaplanes to fly other than um, the Goose there at Port Hardy? Oh, dream seaplanes to fly. I'd really like to uh, fly a Turbo Goose. Uh, that would be uh, that'd be the ultimate, I think. Uh, other than that, um, I don't know. I did. I have so many. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what uh, is there any Turbo Goose operating in in Canada? There, they'd be all private uh, now, wouldn't they? No. Yeah. There's only. Um, I actually, I, I think there's only one Turbo Goose flying right now, uh, and then there was another one that that's actually getting painted right now in Chilliwack but some guys down in Washington put a second turbo goose together so um yeah there's going to be two flying but none operating commercially do you know um what the deal is with the turbo goose when was when was that created yeah so um it was uh Angus McKinnon from Sandy Oregon he was involved in the turbo goose conversion and I think the first turbo goose they did um, it had PT6A-6 engines uh, for Ellis Airlines uh, up in Alaska, which was another major goose operator. And then um, they operated a turbo goose. And they were planning on, I think, tur- uh, putting turbine engines in their whole fleet. But it, it, I don't think it really caught on. Uh, there was a few turbo gooses operated on the BC coast. Uh, Air West had uh, BCI and AWH, which... Uh, they operated, um, and then BCI went on to uh, some corporate flight departments. And my uncle uh, actually flew it, I believe, at Crown Zellerback, and it got re-engined along along the way with uh, Dash 27s. And it was quite the airplane. It was, uh, it, as my uncle said, it had an eye-watering performance. So I would love to get a chance to fly one. So. They got really forward um, engines on the on the airframe, don't they? Like those engines really point out. Yeah, and uh, I've had it explained to me that they're canted in a way that the aircraft has a very low VMC, and uh, they actually, when my uncle was flying BCI, they would, uh, you could shut down an engine on the water and do a single engine takeoff. It had that good a performance. Wow, that's pretty incredible. 
Um, you got lakes, rivers, or open ocean. What would be one of your favorite places that you've ever landed a seaplane? Um, oh, I mean, we fly so many amazing places. Um, <laughs> I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, but uh, no, it's it's just all, all all the places we go to are, are spectacular, and um, you know the, the people you get to meet and dealing with the customers. What I enjoy the most is just the the day to day flying workers around going into um, fish farms or um, logging camps, you know, I mean, you're just flying guys that are just going to work and, and, you know, you, you get to know them and uh, they, you know, they, they trust you to get you to and from work and back home. And that's to be honest, is probably my favorite thing. Just the day to day um, flying that we do. So, Yeah. Perfect. Uh, what's, what's one of your, one of the best looking seaplanes out there, do you reckon? <laughs> the best looking? Well, uh, it's hard to beat the looks of a goose. I always thought the Piaggio Royal Gull was a neat-looking uh, flying boat. If anyone ever seen them, it's an Italian um, rear-engine pusher-type twin-engine boat. It, I always thought it was a neat-looking airplane. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what uh, What about glass cockpit or steam seaplane? Have you Have you flown a glass seaplane at all? Uh, no. I think the most advanced. Well, that's not. I flew a Kodiak once with a G1000 yeah. that Dad flies, and uh, I like these Garmin products are pretty user friendly. But I don't have any really any real experience on glass cockpit. I mean, the panels in our airplanes are they're pretty basic. I mean, we've got a we've got regular round dials and a Garmin 495, which is getting pretty up there, but it still works. So yeah, exactly. If it's not broke, don't fix it, eh? No, that's right. Yeah, I flew the when I first started flying on the coast. Uh, the beavers that uh, Joey had, they didn't have any GPSs in them, so I got yeah, to well. learn the coast really well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what's I mean? Let's pretend that wilderness aren't listening right now. And uh, what's your progression down in for the rest of your career? Is it to stay in float planes for a long period? Like, does does the airline industry? I know it's a really hard question at the moment with what's going on with COVID, yeah. but does that kind of attract you at all? Like, what's your plans? Uh, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm just enjoying the flying I'm doing now. Um, what's going to happen down the road? I honestly, I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to get into water bombing or um, something in that aspect. I don't know if I'll ever be an airline pilot. <laughs> I enjoy flying too much, I think, to yeah. sit and sit at 30,000 feet on autopilot. Yeah, I think that I can, I can get that vibe. I'm pretty sure. I think you'd fitted pretty well with a firebombing gig over there for sure. Um, and finally, mate, uh, what about some advice for any aspiring seaplane pilots who want to get into the industry to fly floats? What what kind of advice could you share to them? Um, you know, it's you know you got to really want to do it. I mean, I you know if the passion's there, um, just make it. You you can make up a lot in just wanting to do something. Um, you know, any advice? Be sure you want to do it. I mean, it 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 it, it can be a lot of work. Um, you know, just be polite, work hard, you know, um, you know, don't burn a bridge anywhere because you never know, you know, who you're talking to or, or what, uh, or, you know, wh- where you're going to be down the road. So I, I think that, you know, just, just be a good, solid, dependable guy. You know, I think that's the most important thing for anybody going into career in aviation. Awesome, mate. Thanks very much. Connor Doucette, uh, it's been awesome hearing your story and talking all about the Grum and Goose over there at Wilderness. It's been a long time coming. I've been eager to get one of you guys on and have a chat about uh, Wilderness Seaplanes. So, um, 
I'd like to thank you very much for taking out the time, Connor, and uh, having a chat and coming on the step. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I mean, I love talking about the goose. So, I, yeah, I mean, if we if we want to chat some more about it, I'm I'm available. So. Perfect. <laughs> thanks very much, mate. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. And that's the show for today, folks. How incredible were Connor's stories? Thanks very much to him for taking the time to speak with us all and share his incredible career so far. Folks, next episode is a bit different. Straight away, after a month off the mic, I'm dropping a big surprise straight up. Let's just say you'll know the guest very well. Until next time, everyone. Thanks for coming on The Step.